Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. The Bible reading is today is taken from the book of First Kings, um, chapter 18, verses 1 to 15. Um, when I finish reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord. Please respond with thanks be to God. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And he had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophet, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifty in each, and had supplied them with food and water. He had accepted to Obadiah, go through, the, go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we will not have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land they were to cover, Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in another. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed to the ground and said, Is it really you, my lord Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master Elijah is here. What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me to go tell my master and say Elijah is here. I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, fifty in each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. He will kill me. Elijah said, as the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve. I will surely present myself to Ahab today. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Oade. Um, let us pray. Our Father and our God, we give you praise because you are the way maker. You're a miracle worker. You keep your promises. You're the light in the darkness when we cannot see our way and when we are overcome with fear and doubt. We ask, O oh God, that your word will fall afresh upon us like rain. We ask, O oh God, that your spirit will melt us and break us and mold us into what you want us to be. Thank you, Lord, for answer prayers. We ask in Jesus' name. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Okay, so um, welcome. If this is your first time, my name is Toki. And if it's your first time, welcome to City Church. We trust that you've been blessed so far and that God will continue to do something in your life. So for those that do not know me again, my name is Toki and I'm married to Tomison. She was here in the first service. And 
we've been in some kind of um, romantic relationship for about 10 years now. And the thing that happens, one of the sweet things in the early days, in the honeymoon phase, is that you figure out small things that both of you are compatible on. And of course, you should be compatible on the big things, but on the small things, when you see that people are compatible on them, it's just like, you have that feeling of this person was custom made for me. And so, for example, both of us, we do not eat boiled eggs. We don't eat onions in food. In food. But also, you also see, as the relationship progresses, that you find out other things that you're not compatible on. And so I don't know how it never crossed my mind to find out when we were dating, but I got married and found out that my wife sleeps with the light on. <laughs> my goodness. You know, and so we started alternating one day on one, one, day, one, one day off. Or she realized that when I kept saying I don't eat dry soup, I was actually serious. That I don't like it. And so if she cooks dry soup, she has to make an alternative arrangement for me. But the one I want to talk about that we are not compatible on, the small thing I want to talk about that we are not compatible on, is Nollywood movies. <laughs> and one of us likes Nollywood movies watches Nollywood movies, but the other person absolutely detests Nollywood movies. And there are actually some of them that are trying, but generally speaking, <laughs> one of the problems with Nollywood movies is the issue of subplots. It's either the subplot is totally missing or is done really badly. And my wife has said, I must say that she's not the one that watches Nollywood movies. <laughs> but, but the thing about movies is that there is the main plot, which is like the main, the main story, what the movie is about. But there are also, if it's a good movie, there are also subplots, secondary stories, that actually either show you the main character in a different way, or they push forward the theme of the main story. They, they, they push the story forward. And we are talking about Elijah, but as the story of Elijah is not a Nollywood movie. It has good subplots, and I'm going to be looking at one of those subplots today. So by reason of background, this is the background, Elijah lives in the northern kingdom of Israel. And remember, this is not the kingdom of Israel that David and his son Solomon ruled over. This is the divided kingdom. And by this time, the northern kingdom of Israel is ruled by a guy called Ahab. And it's a time of great military power. It's a time of great infrastructural development, but it's also a time of great unfaithfulness to God. And so God is not pleased, and he sends, Obadiah, he sends Elijah to declare that there will be no rain until he says so. And it actually happens. Rain doesn't fall. And when rain doesn't fall, crops do not grow. And when crops do not grow, there's a famine. And so during the famine, God takes care of Elijah by taking him to a place where he, fed, he feeds him through the brooks and ravens. And then when the brook dries up, God sends him to a widow where their food miraculously multiplies. And then when the widow's son dies, as we saw last week, God uses Elijah to bring him back to life. And the story continues in chapter, verse 1 of chapter 18 that we read. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the land. And Elijah goes on his way, and this is where our subplot, our secondary story starts. He runs, to a guy called, he runs into a guy called Obadiah. And Obadiah is also a believer in God. But there's a problem. The problem is that Obadiah walks 
for Ahab. Verse 3 tells us that Obadiah was Ahab's palace administrator. And many commentators don't have a great view of Obadiah. They keep saying, ah. they look at him like a compromiser. I was listening to a sermon by a Bible teacher, and he said, one Elijah is worth more than a hundred thousand Obadiahs. Elijah himself doesn't seem to have a great view of Obadiah. Later on, we'll see in the coming weeks, Elijah is complaining to God, and he paints a picture of him being the only faithful person left. Despite having met, like, when you met Obadiah. So he doesn't seem to rate Obadiah a lot. And it kind of reminds me of the story I heard a long time ago when I was much younger of the two dogs, a big dog and a little dog, met on the road. And when the big dog saw the little dog, he was like, ha, ah, now wow. Everything on the answer dog nowadays. <laughs> wow. Well, what the little dog said, excuse me, sir. I agree that I'm not as big a dog as you are, but also you cannot say that I'm a cat. <laughs> and so the series is about Elijah, and when we are reading about the story of Elijah, we tend to rush over this passage, this first chapter 18, 1 to 16, because we know that Elijah is going to call down fire from heaven. And this is almost like a filler, you know, but if we pause and look at this passage, if we pause and look at the story of Obadiah, we see that there are a lot of lessons that we can learn. We will see from the story of Obadiah that there is more than one way to be faithful to God. And it is the fear of the Lord that enables us to stay faithful to God in our lives and in carrying out the mission of God. And so we'll consider this sermon titled, More Than One Way, Under Three Headings. More Than One Calling. Only one wisdom, more than one master. And so we'll take the first one, more than one calling. So far, the series has been trying to tell us that Obadiah is a man of like passions, which means that Obadiah is a person... Hmm? Elijah. Elijah is a man of like passions, sorry. Which means that we should look at Elijah as a person just like you and me. And what we hear, which is actually not wrong, is that if only you can trust God, God can use you to do great and mighty things. God can use you to be strong and do exploits. But what are the great things that we see Obadiah doing in this passage when we meet him? Verse 5. Ahab said to Obadiah, go through all the land to the springs and valley. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that we will not have to kill any of our animals. And so while Elijah is there performing miracles, Elijah is there stopping rain from happening, from falling, Obadiah is busy looking for grass. Obadiah is not a prophet. It's not the same. There's a book called Obadiah in the Bible. This is not the same guy that wrote that book of Obadiah. He works for the king. But the Bible tells us in verse 3 that Obadiah was a believer in God. He was a devout believer in God. And the question is, how does a believer serve God in a place as wicked as Ahab's palace? And I think we can see from this text that he does that by being reliable and faithful at his job. Let's see. First, his name. His name means servant of Yahweh, servant of God. And verse 4 tells us that Jezebel is killing the prophets of God. And the idea of the word that is used, like cutting off, is like an aggressive looking for them and killing them. But there's a guy that his name is literally servant of Yahweh walking around the palace 
and nothing happens to him. So I can imagine the bodyguard comes and says, oh, my queen, today, situation reports, we killed 10 prophets of Yahweh. And Jezebel says, ah, that's good, that's good, that's good. And she turns and says, servant of Yahweh, how much grain do we have left? And she doesn't go, servant of Yahweh, kill him. But even beyond that, we see that when Ahab is looking for, to, wants to do something that is so important that the king himself has to come down and do it personally, who does he call? Obadiah. Verse 6, they divided the land they were going to cover, Ahab going in one direction, and Obadiah in another direction. And so in this series, we are seeing two models of faithfulness to God, Elijah and Obadiah, but why one is obvious and bright and spectacular, the other one is quiet and mundane and even ordinary. And our human tendency is to celebrate the giftings of Elijah, celebrate the Elijah-type stories and Elijah-type grace, but ignore and sometimes even demean the ones that are more quiet, like Obadiah. There is no song called These Are the Days of Obadiah. But because of what Obadiah does, he's uniquely placed, he's uniquely positioned to do something really great for God. He's uniquely positioned in the palace to actually do the work of God. Verse 4, while Jezebel is killing the prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and had supplied them with food and water. The story of Obadiah teaches us that there is more than one way to be faithful to God. And even if you walk in a very hard place, a place that is hostile to God, you can be faithful to God there. If you walk in a place where nobody tells you, thank you, if you walk in a thankless job, a monotonous and repetitious job, and nobody sees what you do, as long as you're doing it with all your heart, as long as you're doing it in service to God, God is pleased with you. It's an expression of your faith to God. And it goes beyond our work and actually into our lives. I was thinking about it. Are there Obadiah aspects of our lives, more quiet and ordinary aspects of our lives that we are ignoring because we are so focused on Elijah's type stuff? And you're saying, I want to do these great things. I have these good dreams. I have these big visions. I want to do things for God and for humanity. But the ordinary things that God wants you to do, you're ignoring them. And God may be saying, yes, you want to do these great things. But how about becoming a better parent? How about leading devotions with your family? How about coming to church on time? How about joining a unit and serving in a place where nobody is seeing you? And I want to ask us, is there grass we should be looking for like Obadiah? But we are not interested in that because we want to raise someone from the dead like Elijah. And sometimes we may be in what I call an Obadiah season of our lives. What do I mean? If you look at the placement of this passage, chapter 18, verse 1 to 15, Obadiah is speaking grass. It's in between. The previous chapter is Elijah raising the widow's son back from the dead. And after now, Elijah is going to call fire from heaven. And in the middle, Obadiah is speaking grass. And I see, I call it an Obadiah season, a season where it's like things are happening to everybody and for everybody apart from you, and you're just there. A singer says, sometimes it will be like, say, you escort people come this world. And if you're in this situation, if you're in this type of season in your life, God is telling you, consider my servant Obadiah. Because it's not so much as the circumstances we find ourselves, as much as it is about what we do with those circumstances that we find ourselves in. As a set of twins, thank you, Obadiah. 
<laughs> There's a set of twins that I used to follow back in the day. Their names are Alex and Brett Harris. And by the time they were 19, they had done a lot of great stuff. The book they wrote sold, as of 2014, it sold 470,000 copies. They had hosted conferences with thousands of people. And so they took a break and they got married and went to school. And so one of them, Alex, after his university, his college, he gets into Harvard Law School. While he's at Harvard Law School, he excels. He graduates with one of the two highest GPAs in his class. He continues to excel in his legal practice. And by 2017, he makes Forbes list of 30 under 30. Well, in the meantime, his brother gets married. And a few months into his marriage, his wife is diagnosed with a sickness that leaves her bedridden. And what are the exploits his brother is doing? His twin brother is doing. He's keeping track of her doctor's appointments, cooking for her, basing her, carrying her up the stairs, helping her during her panic attacks. And he ends up spending most of the money he earned from those 470,000 copies that he sold. And in the eyes of the world, their trajectories could not be any more different. But to God, what he cares about is this. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Moreover, it is required of husbands that they be found faithful. It is required of mothers that they be found faithful. It is required of workers and servers that they be found faithful. And many times we look at our lives and we are frustrated with where we are in that Obadiah season. He said, this is not what I planned for my life. I was talking to someone the other day and he said, one of the things that annoys him the most is when someone tells him, you have so much potential, what's happening to you? And he's like, you think I don't know I have potential? <laughs> you think I'm happy where I am? And sometimes we can react by two ways. By live, number one, we may react by living in the sky. And it's all about, oh, if only my parents were rich. If only I were married. If only I were married to someone else. And somehow we tend to begin to live in that dream world. And we use our disadvantage as a shield to prevent us from actually being faithful in the things that God has put in our hands right now. Or we can be so overwhelmed with our burdens and our, and our problems that we become ungrateful and bitter against God. Sometime in 2011, I joined, I was added to a group, alumni. We were preparing for, secondary school alumni, we were preparing for 10 years reunion. So it was the next year. And that was when it dawned on me. That nine years after finishing secondary school was when I was finishing NYSE. I got to think about it. And it was BBM, so you save people's pains. And so I'm seeing people's DPs. People are doing well. They're just trying to struggle after NYC. I began to think about it, and it was making me bitter. But I forgot that during that same time, I had won a scholarship for my master's. I met the woman that I would eventually marry. But because I was so focused on what I did not have, I had lost sight of the way God was actually blessing me. And this is why it's important for us to count our blessings because when we count our blessings, it gives us perspective and reminds us that in whatever season of life we find ourselves, God is still at work in our lives. Even when I don't see it, he's working. He never stops working like we sang. Because why there is more than one way to be faithful to God, there is also more than one way that God is faithful to us. And we see in this passage that the same God that feeds Elijah by miracles is the same God that feeds 100 prophets by Obadiah. Look at it. How does God feed Elijah? 1 Kings chapter 17, 10 to 11. Elijah said to her, will you bring me a little water in a jar? The widow. So I may have a drink. And as she was going to get it, he called and said, please give me a piece of bread. 
So God feeds, and that bread keeps on multiplying. So God feeds Elijah miraculously with bread and water. How does God feed the hundred prophets that Obadiah saves? Verse 4, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with what? Bread and water. Same God, same provision, different means. And I want to tell us today that God is as present in the flashing miracles as he is in the ordinary circumstances of our lives. But more than that, what we call mundane, what we call ordinary, are actually as miraculous as the other things that we are expecting him to move on. And can you imagine, Obadiah is feeding 50, 50 people each in two locations. Imagine the logistics, how people that he needed help for, and nobody goes to report to Jezebel. Nobody says, let me go and maybe get a reward for cutting 100 prophets at the same time. It was not normal. It was a miracle. And if you think about our lives, think about the good things in your life, you won't go far before you, realize, you hit something that you cannot explain. Something that you cannot account for. That was actually God. Something happened to and you met someone that was, happened to be interested in what you wanted and somehow he walked out. People call it serendipity, but it's actually God walking through what we call happy coincidences to work miracles for you. My wife, Tomisin, had a family friend in NYC and she told, she told her, wherever you want to serve, let me know and I'll make it happen. And Thomas was like, yeah, I'd like to serve in Ibadan. And Thomas was telling her friend, and her friend said, ah, I beg, carry me on the back. And so she told her that the, the person in NYC said, sure, no problem, I'll help your friend too. But when posting was coming out, her friend got the Lagos that is even harder. But Thomas was posted to Anambra State because God was working a miracle for me. <laughs> <laughs> and there are miracles in disguise all over this passage, all over the passage. What I call one day miracles are all over the passage. Look at Obadiah. To him, he may have just been doing his godly duty as a believer by saving those hundred men. But to those hundred prophets and their wives and children, it was every bit as miraculous as Elijah raising that widow's son back from the dead. And in church, there's a jubilee fund. It's like it's called, it's like it's our mercy ministry. And I want to tell you that God is using by the mundane act of you opening your bank apps, doing 737. God is using you if you're contributing to that fund to work miracles in the life of people that are crying to God for help. People's school fees are being paid. People's hospital bills are being paid. Drugs are bought for people, are being bought for people. People are getting food. People are crying to God. And I want to ask you, if it's something that you're not doing right now, can you consider being God's hand of divine provision and miracle to people that are asking for it? Because it looks ordinary, but these are not just the days of Elijah. They are also the days of Obadiah. It brings me to my second point, only one wisdom. Obadiah's story teaches us that it's possible to be planted in a wicked place, in an environment hostile to God, and still stand firm. Not only stand firm, like you see Obadiah did, you can also take advantage of opportunities to minister to people there. But we also know, and life tells us, there's a proverb about it that if one finger, if you dip one finger in palm oil, it will end up touching all the other fingers. And so the question is, how was Obadiah able to stand firm without staining his whites? How was he able to remain a believer in such a godless place? The Bible tells us the summary of Obadiah's life in verse 3. Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. 
Obadiah feared the Lord. Not just feared the Lord, he feared the Lord greatly. And here in City Church, we just finished our holiday book reading program. And it's a time when we take time off our regular small group studies and schedule some other books to study. And one of the books that we first read is called What Does It Mean to Fear the Lord? by Michael Reeves. And we see there, we saw there rather, that the fear of the Lord is not a fear that makes us run away from God. The fear of the Lord is not a fear that makes us live in terror of God. The fear of the Lord is when we are overwhelmed by God's greatness, overwhelmed by God's goodness, overwhelmed by God's mercy and grace, that we are filled with trembling and joy and love and wonder towards God. And the fear of God is expressed in loving God and trusting him. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And many times when we see wisdom, our mind goes to the definition of wisdom that we all know. Wisdom is the right application of okay, the right application of knowledge. But well, there's a much older definition which says that wisdom is the ability to order things rightly. Wisdom is the ability to prioritize properly, to rank things in your life according to their true importance. And if we put them together, what we are saying is if you want to live a wise life, if you want to spend your life well, if you want to be wise, it starts from the fear of the Lord. It is anchored by the fear of the Lord because that is the only true wisdom. But it also implies that a fool is someone who, regardless of how successful he is outwardly, regardless of how smart he is, regardless of his reputation and accolades he has achieved, a fool is anyone whose life is not ordered, who does not have the right priorities as defined by the fear of the Lord. And we can see this in the, life of, the lives of Ahab and, and Obadiah. First, Obadiah, he's able to stand firm in a wicked world and make the decision to save the prophet because to him, the risk, only it was a big risk, of being caught by Jezebel and killed was lower than the prospect of doing something that would have been pleasing to God. And sometimes it's not just an issue of committing sin or not committing sin. It's an issue of choosing between the best thing that will please God and a thing that actually could be good. My father used to be someone who, in his younger days, who ranked things by his love for his mother. And he loved his mother so much. There was a time that there was a time when he was shortlisted for military officer training at the Royal Military Academy in Sandhurst in the UK, and it's a really big deal. But his mother said, it was a really big deal, his mother said, no child of mine will be a soldier. And they went back and forth until after she said, if you go ahead on this path, don't send me any money. And for him, that was the end of that dream. Because for him, wisdom was making his mother happy. And so later, when he received the call to full-time ministry, when he told his family, and she begged and begged and begged and begged and cajoled, and it was not working out. She told him, if you continue on this path, when I die, don't come and see my corpse. Essentially disowning him. But by this time, <laughs> the wisdom <laughs> that he had before had been replaced with a greater wisdom. His life was no longer ordered by love for his mother, but by love for God and the fear of God, and he told her, I would rather see your soul in heaven 
Now see your corpse and when you'll be in hell. And eventually she came to know the Lord and he baptized her with his own two hands. And your situation may not be as drastic as that, but when you have opportunities to choose, rank them by the fear of the Lord. And sometimes doing it by the fear of the Lord may result in suffering from you. But remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, that our light momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal glory that is far beyond comparison, that far outweighs them all. On the other hand, we can look at Ahab. Verse 2 tells us that the famine was severe in Samaria. And what happens during famines? There's death on a massive scale. In 1967 to 1969, during the Nigerian Civil War, there was a famine that was caused by a blockade of supplies and an estimated 1.5 million, 1.5 million people died as a direct result of starvation and sickness from the famine. <laughs> in a famine, the fabric of society is torn apart. And there's a famine in 2 Kings chapter 6 during the time of Ahab's son. And <laughs> what happens are two women, because of the way the society has degenerated, two women collude to kill their own children and eat. And the people only hear about it because after they ate one person's son the first time, the second day they went to eat the other woman's son and she ran away. And so society is being torn apart. But in the middle of this, what is the king doing? What is Ahab doing? Verse 5, Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules so that we'll not have to kill any of our animals. And part of why this is even worse is because in those days, kings were portrayed as shepherds. And it's this idea of the king caring for the people, of the king feeling the pain of the people, of the king guiding and protecting the people. But this shepherd's priority during the famine was not the children dying, was not the dead bodies on the streets, but his priority was his horses and his mules and his animals. And immediately our mind goes to our leaders and politicians. There was an outro in 2014 when there was a bomb blast in Abuja and almost 200 people were killed. <sighs> but the very next day, the leaders went to a rally and were dancing. And everybody was like, this is not what the leader is supposed to be doing. But we also look, we can also look and realize and ask the question, am I, are you any different from Ahab? I'm like, what do you mean? How can I be Ahab? And I want to remind us that Ahab was not an atheist. In fact, he actually names his children, names after God. His first son was Ahaziah. It means Yahweh sustains. His second son, Joram, Yahweh is exalted. And Ahab outwardly was a successful king. The Bible tells us that he built cities. He built a palace of ivory. In fact, Ahab is one of the few kings outside that's attested to outside of scripture. The king of Assyria says that Ahab of Israel brought 2,000 chariots to a battle. And if you had asked him, what was the secret of your success? Now God, <laughs> Yahweh is exalted. Yahweh is the one that sustains me. But at the end of the day, the testimony of scriptures is this. At a time when people were dying, Ahab was more concerned about his horses and cattle. And so he was a fool, regardless of his outward success. 
brothers and sisters, there is a spiritual famine in the city of Lagos. People are dying and going to eternal conscious torment in hellfire. Not just people that actually do not believe in God. There are people in church that think that they serve God, but they are serving a different God, and they are all dying and going to a Christless eternity. And God forbid that at the end of their story will be that we cared more about the schools that our children went to, that we cared more about our reputation and standing, that we cared more about the distance we live from a toll gate, because it will mean that we were fools and we have wasted our lives. But sometimes the problem is just that we are afraid, and Obadiah has this problem. <laughs> and Elijah tells him in verse 8, go and tell Ahab, Elijah is here. And theologians have pointed out that what he was telling him literally was go and tell your master Ahab, behold, Elijah. And Elijah means my God is Jehovah. And so he was telling him, go and tell Ahab, behold, my God is Yahweh. In a sense, he was telling him to go and declare God's word to Ahab. And how does Obadiah respond? Respond, verse 12b. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Have you not heard what I did? When Jezebel was killing the prophets, I hid them. I supplied hundreds of them with bread and water. And now you go and tell me to say to my master, Elijah is here. He will kill me. They have been saying, but I've been, or I saying, but I've been doing other things for God. I've been doing great things for God. And he was actually right because we calculated one day that those hundred prophets ate was, was hundred days, three months that he could have eaten. And so he was extravagantly generous for the cause of Christ. But God said, yes, that's good. I commend you for it. But still go ahead and open your mouth and declare God's word to Ahab. And a lot of times, as this saying, a popular saying, preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. And as it has been often used as an excuse to absolve us from actually evangelizing the gospel, from actually telling people that Jesus cared for them and Jesus died for them, from actually preaching the gospel to the people around us. But we need to keep in mind... Now, how people come into the kingdom of God is not vibes, but because the gospel is actually preached to them. Romans 10 verse 14 says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And over there is a lot better than us. Over there is a lot better than me because he was actually at risk of being killed if he actually went. And we know people in the north of Nigeria, and we should pray for them that their lives are at risk of sharing the gospel. But I think most people in Lagos do not have that problem. So why am I afraid? Why are you afraid? For some of us, it may be that sometimes our life does not match our confession with our mouths that we are Christians. And so it makes us shrink back. I have a colleague, and when my former colleague, and when he sees me doing something wrong, and I'm not even talking about big things, things like as low as as little as reading a PDF that I not pay for, he will say, "Retired apostle, <laughs> the fraudulent pastor." And so I'm I'm wondering, do I, can I really talk to this guy about Christ when he has seen failures in my life? Or sometimes I'm just like, ah, if I go and preach, people will look at me one kind. Ah, people will laugh at me. I will now look like all those people carrying megaphone up and down. It's just somehow I can't do that. But what we share, our fears show us what we value. As in our fears are like diagnostics, they actually show us what is the thing we value. 
And what our fear is telling us, our reluctance to preach the gospel is telling us that, that we value the praise of man more than we value the praise of God. And that's being foolish. That's foolishness. How does Elijah respond to Obadiah's excuse? He brings him back. He helps him with the fear of the Lord. He reminds Obadiah that he has more than one master. It takes me to my third point, more than one master. Verse 15, Elijah said, As surely as the Lord of armies lives, before whom I stand, I will certainly present myself to him today. Elijah reminds Obadiah of who God is, and he uses a specific term, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. Here's what he was telling Obadiah. The person you are so scared of, the source of this your great fear, is struggling to find grass to feed the horses in his army. But you have another master that has armies upon armies. He's the Lord of armies, and his armies do not need grass. In the very place that you're afraid of, you can see and you can find that Jesus is actually better. God, what you're looking for is found in greater measure in Christ. And Elijah was telling Obadiah and he's telling us to look beyond our fears and look to God. Because God is bigger than our fears. God is bigger than what we're afraid of. And God is more valuable, infinitely more valuable than the things that we treasure so much. And sometimes we can be so overwhelmed that we need someone like Elijah to come alongside us and help us clear the fog of confusion, to help us clear the fog of fear. And this is why coming to Sunday service is super, super, super important. A writer, Paul David Tripp, says, Corporate worship is designed to remind you that in the center of all things is a glorious and gracious king. And this king is not you. And this king is not Ahab. This king is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we are singing God's word to each other in the Sunday service, as we are hearing God's word being preached to us, as we are hearing God's word being read to us, it's doing something inside us. Faith is rising up inside us. God is being magnified inside us. Our fears are being pushed away until we can say boldly, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. Because when we turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. But Elijah doesn't end there. He throws a challenge to Obadiah. He says, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. In other words, he's telling him, you can choose to be part of what God is doing or you can choose to protect your reputation. You can choose to be part of what God is doing or you can choose to chase the approval of man. But I will surely present myself to Ahab today. Centuries later, about 500 years later, another Jew in the book of Esther is supposed to go like Obadiah and declare God's word to a, a king that doesn't fear God. And she's worried like Obadiah. She tells her uncle, Mordecai, he will kill me. I will die if I do this. Well, uncle replies her in Esther chapter 4, verse 14. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows? But you have come to your real position for such a time as this. Who knows whether you are living in the city of Lagos for such a time as this. Who knows whether God has placed you and the people around you for such a time as this. Who knows whether God has put you to walk to see the city of Lagos covered with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. 
in City Church, we like to put it this way, that I want to work to catalyze a gospel-centered renewal, that re- gospel-centered movement that renews the city of Lagos. I said, I hear you. I'm going to take that step of faith, but where do I start from? You can start by inviting someone to church this month, committing to inviting someone to church this month. Your circle may be people that don't know uh, are already Christians, but you can take a step out of that circle and look for ways that you can engage people and invite them to church. You can also begin to pray to God for opportunities to speak his word. Paul prays for this in Colossians 4 verse 3. He says, pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. He prays for boldness, Ephesians 6, 19, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And what is our confidence? What's our confidence? Our confidence is that it was God, it is God that always initiates the move. Verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will, I will, I will send rain on the land. And it's so encouraging because the results are not up to you. It is God that gives the increase. God just calls us to obey. God just calls us to go. Just God just calls us to go before the heirs of this world and tell them, Behold, my God is Yahweh. I started today by talking about subplots. And I said that subplots are secondary stories that push forward the main character of the story. And I make us see the main character in a different light. Subplots are secondary stories that push forward the main theme of the story. What I now say is that the main character of this sub of this story that we just talked about, this subplot, is not Elijah. It's actually another Obadiah. You see, when God went to end the greatest famine in the world had ever known, he sent an Obadiah to declare his word to kings. Remember, Obadiah means servant of God. And like Obadiah, he did not come in the packaging people expected a servant of God to have. Like this Obadiah, he feared God greatly from his youth. Like this Obadiah, he was at risk of being put to death because of the message. But unlike this Obadiah that said, what have I done wrong? Ask Obadiah that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death. That Obadiah said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. On the cross, the true and ultimate Obadiah the true and ultimate servant of God. Jesus Christ bought the sacrifice for our sins and died the death that we all deserve. But the story did not end there. Acts 2, 24 and 36 says, But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. And God has made this same Jesus, who you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And he sends us out also as Obadiahs again, as unlikely servants, to go and spread the good news. What's the good news? That our Savior Jesus Christ has abolished death. That our Savior Jesus Christ has destroyed death. That our Savior Jesus Christ has arrested death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And for those that believe in him, the drought of God's wrath is taken away. And what Peter calls times of refreshing come upon them on high, from on high. And the drought of God's judgment is taken away and God's mercy and grace and endless love will flood your heart. And he calls us to go and spread this message. Are you going to answer his call? Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.